There are dozens of genre film festivals around the world, and we either can't afford or don't have the time to go to any of them. We're guessing a lot of you are in the same boat. On Cinema Smorgasbord Presents Cinema Fantastica, we pick one of those festivals, a year in which it ran, and choose two films that played at that festival to battle against one another. On episode number one of Cinema Fantastica, we travel back to 1996 and the very first installment of Montreal's Fantasia Film Festival, where we pit two feature-length anime favorites against one another, It's Fist of the North Star versus Wicked City. Welcome to Cinema Fantastica, a trip through time and space to the genre film festivals around the world. I'm Doug Tilly, and with me, as usual, is Liam O'Donnell. How are you doing today, Liam? I'm great, Doug. How are you doing? Liam, this is a whole new project that we're doing here called Cinema Fantastica, where we're going to talk about uh, genre film festivals around the world, Liam. And this is... And this was kind of, this is your idea. I'm just going to put this all on you right at the beginning. This oh, is, yeah. This is this your is concept. Enti- this is entirely uh, FOMO made real. I know y'all are out there. You're on social media. You have friends who are cool, who are probably struggling to pay their bills and their lives are actually desperate. But oh, as yes. far as Instagram and Twitter tells you, they're doing fun stuff that you're not doing. Exactly. And you're jealous about it. And so I started thinking about that and I realized that we could just talk about whatever is happening this year. Like that was a way to do this. But I also thought, you know, there's a bunch of movies that have played at all these festivals over time that I'm curious about that maybe don't you know always get some of the attention that they deserve or maybe they're classics that everyone assumes we all love but Mm. you know we haven't talked about in a while so what i liked about this is this is an opportunity we might find stuff that's like forgotten that people maybe should have forgotten or shouldn't have forgotten or we might hit on stuff that like is so obvious like so essential to the culture that no one's really taken the time to battle it out about them before and we we might change people's minds i don't know the other thing is that uh, if you are very online, like Liam and I are, yeah, way too <laughs> online, and you are connected to these festivals in some ways, in the sense that you you see the reactions, you see people go to these festivals. Sometimes there are movies that get like super hyped, and people are really excited about it. But because of the kids with their cell phones today, Liam, and life going so fast, and what's going on, I don't know. Yeah, uh, it's like they just get forgotten, and yeah. and and. Even a movie from a year ago that everyone was talking about, it just kind of fades into the ether. Mm. So this is a good opportunity to kind of yeah. reach back and pull it into the present, Liam. And honestly, I'm glad that you mentioned the fact that this whole concept was born out of jealousy because I think the best art is born out of jealousy. Oh, that's interesting, actually. I would I would, I would, would love to hear more about that. But I do also want to say, you know, I also think this is an opportunity to understand a variety of festivals. Mm. Some of these festivals people know about. Today we're talking about Fantasia uh, Fest uh, in Montreal. That's one that everybody knows. But we might hit on some fests that y'all have never heard of that are smaller, that maybe even some of them went away. You know, they mm. were a big thing at a certain time, and now they don't exist anymore. Uh, so I also saw it as a fun educational opportunity for others and for us to be like, you know, in theory, we're all part of what is cinema culture right now. Well, these festivals helped create that. And unlike some other uh, subcultures, I don't know that we're as devoted to our past as uh, maybe we could be and as appreciative of the people who built this thing up uh, as as we should be. So this is an t- opportunity for me to learn, too. I'm no expert. I didn't even know before we looked it up. I didn't know these two movies played this festival, mm. let alone played the first year. So I thought this 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 is an example of we're going to be learning together. 
Now, Liam, I want to ask you before we jump into the festival proper, what's your history with Japanimation? <laughs> I love that you said Japanimation, which, by the way, is not an okay term, but it is what I grew up uh, calling it. And what's really funny is, so one of the films we're discussing today, which, uh, uh, which we've already established are discussing Fist of the North Star and Wicked City. One of, the, one of those films, Wicked City, has been compared, I think, slightly unfairly, but not entirely unfairly, to another film called uh, – uh, now, forgive my um, pronunciation. Oh boy, this is going to be good. <laughs> uh, Uroko Sudoji, uh, Legend of the Overfiend. Oh, yeah. that I remember that movie. It was uh, not proper for my 13-year-old eyes. <laughs> no, and what's crazy is uh, – all right, so I have some relationship with uh, anime – in what? the form of in the in the form of American sort of things that were popular in America, uh, but the first for real anime I ever saw was Akira. Right. However, I didn't realize Akira was part of a whole genre. So, in a way, Akira didn't introduce me to anime. Akira was its own thing, mm. and it was weirdly. Uh, Legend of the Overfiend. I won't try to pronounce it again because I think I probably pronounced it wrong. Um, it was uh, Legend of the Overfiend that introduced me to anime and specifically as a very horny 12-year-old uh, that there was cartoon gross sex to be seen and I wanted to see it. And so uh, now, of course, getting access to these things pre-internet and then I had to go to the city and explore various weird stores and things and oh see boy. what I could find <laughs> and then see if they would like sell it to me as a young person. But yeah, I mean, I, I, I never, uh, I didn't actually find anything else as gross and offensive as legend of the Overfeed. but that is how I got into fist of the North star project. Aiko, uh, you know, vampire hunter D vampire hunter D bloodless later. Um, a bunch of stuff that just sort of opened my mind to like, oh, there's this whole world of animation. And for me, it was really, even though I'm not going to lie, like I said, it was gross cartoon sex that got me mm -hmm. into these movies. Of course. What kept me there was the action that I, you know, I already liked martial arts films. I already liked action movies. And this just felt like these cartoons had a more intense kind of action than I mean, movies gross did. sex is a kind of action. Let's make sure that's that fair. That that's fair. fair. That's fair. That's <laughs> fair. Uh, Liam, it's funny because we're both very old that we should make that very clear right off the bat. Also, we're not like experts in, well, anything, but certainly not anime. So when no. we inevitably make a lot of errors here, if you are fans of, uh, this genre of Japanimation, which I am going to continue to say, Liam, stop, um, I hate that. <laughs> then you can correct us, uh, after the fact, and we will probably ignore it, but maybe not. We like to be yeah. educated, Liam, yeah. and we tried to be educated going into this. I grew up again in the same uh, even though in a very different location in the world, in a kind of a, a same era as yourself. So my initial experience with anime were uh, badly dubbed television series like Robotech and Voltron, sure, that yeah. sort of stuff, right? And I recognize that the visual style of that looked different than the cartoons I was used to on TV. But it didn't, you know, it didn't really recognize, uh, it didn't really register to me that uh, that this was its own kind of style up until probably 1992 1993 where i have an i have an older brother and he got into anime but at that time this shit was very under the table right i mean yes. this is very much a case where you didn't talk about it in public because a lot of it was embarrassing <laughs> right but also it's it it you know the, there was the a, a much more of a hard line between sub uh sub um, uh, anime and dubbed anime and what was available was sometimes uh um, 
edited and you know it really was a case where you just got what you got and that was what you accepted and like you said akira was the big one because it was kind of more readily available on vhs but when you started to to dip your toes in especially again i was of that age where maybe i was a little horned up myself yeah you start looking for the stuff that has the more extreme content so you kind of get a skewed view of what this art form is really about uh, yeah. you, you think that hey maybe that this is what it all is when uh it's not though that said <laughs> which we're going to talk about today that is kind of what that is <laughs> well and you know I, to be fair i could have been watching grave of the fireflies right sure like I, you know there was artistic things happening um but you know that you're a kid you've limited access to anything you know extreme in general you know it, it, so the fact that it feels like such I, a different world to talk about this where you can just pull up cannibal holocaust in like two seconds yes right yes, now. <laughs> yes exactly well the fact that i also a lot of my anime ex- exposure was what friends could get so you know like i, I brought up legend of the overfiend the first time i watched legend of the overfiend actually i said it's 12 i think i was probably 14 sure but uh but the copy I watched was dubbed into Chinese, specifically uh, Mandarin, <laughs> with English subtitles. And that that was my experience with a few things. It's like, or um, dubbed into English with some other random subtitles. Or, you know what I mean? Like, sure. y- you watched whatever uh, dubbed or uh, ripped, I say ripped, but that's a digital thing, copied onto VHS <laughs> version you could find unless you found a store in Chinatown or in, in Philly in the gallery uh eventually once dvds became a thing that was way into my sure. you know almost adulthood there was some bootleg dvd places you could get anime but in the vhs era you know there wasn't a lot to rent i i remember specifically at the video store they had bubblegum crisis and they had um uh what is the something with apple in it apple seed yeah apple seed and then they had, of course, Akira. And that was it. That was the whole selection. So if you wanted to go past those Johns, you had to really <laughs> get out there and hope that someone would sell you something. And then hope that it even had English subtitles on it because sometimes it didn't. I, I definitely struggled through maybe less anime and more kung fu. But there, there were sure. definitely movies I paid money for and no one told me you will not understand what this is. It's uh, funny, too, that it – because of the mix of this kind of material that we had, it, you kind of put it all on the same level, even when in retrospect, some of it was real garbage while some of it was amazing. Right. Like I had like a strange, my local, one thing to make clear right at the top is Liam, you grew up near a larger city center or had access to that, but yeah. I didn't. I grew up in Newfoundland where, believe me, this is not easy to come by this material, but we had a VHS copy of like Nausicaa, the Valley of the Wind. Um, sure. and, and so I watched that when I was a kid, even though it was kind of some weird, uh, dubbed, edited version of it. And, but then you would watch something like, uh, Legend of the Overfiend and it would just, it would all meld in your mind. This is what Japanese animation is all about. But as we will learn today, Liam, as we pit two movies against one another, as, because everything has to be a competition, there's a real, uh, width and breadth to the uh, to the art of Japanese animation, and we're going to talk about it, Liam. By the end of this episode, we're both going to be experts on the subject. Sure, that sounds fair. <laughs> <laughs> and in fact, the way that this is going to work is that we're going to both present our case, even though we didn't really know ahead of time whether we were going to enjoy either movie, uh, despite our you know tangential relationship with them. It's been a while since I watched either of these. Um, 
this is a case we're going to put forward our movie, then we're going to talk about it, have a little discussion, then the other person's going to put forward their movie and have a little discussion, and at the end, we're just going to have a little uh, wrap-up and let the audience decide which movie is superior. Liam, what do you think about that? I mean, I, I think it's unfair to you because I'm clearly a better arguer. Uh, uh, I'm far more – is it eloquent? Eloquence? Is that the word I want? Mm-hmm. You were looking for the word eloquently. And the fact <laughs> that I found that word before you does not That's bode weird. well for your that arguments. Was just, no, that was just a bad – was off. I'm just off today. It's, it's fine. It's still going to be good. I will say you have an advantage, Liam, because we're recording early in the morning here. And I'm not a morning person, but because you have a young child, you have to be a morning person. <sighs> yeah. <laughs> there's too much pain there's too much pain there to, to make this into a bit there's no bit to be had well before we jump into the films let's start with the festival so today we're talking about the fantasia international film festival in montreal quebec canada uh, it's usually recognized as the largest and most influential event of its kind in North America, and it began in 1996, which is the uh, the one that we're going back to. And in the first 1996 edition of the Fantasia International Film Festival, it focused entirely on Asian cinema, uh, and it was really ahead of its time in regards to that. For those of you who, who were around and watching movies in 1996, yeah, look, there were people talking about Jackie Chan, there were people talking about John Woo, but this is not something where it was this mainstream idea this concept and this availability was still very limited and uh there um and and the idea of featuring you know a big screen presentations of the work of chewy hark and the work of jackie chan and the work of john woo was still uh, a, a pretty rare thing uh so the wait, festival wait, wait. itself can we just talk about something here really quick please until you found this information and presented it to me i never understood the name of this festival how do you mean? It's not Fantasia in a like uh, reference to the never-ending story. It specifically in the very first poster separates F-A-N-T and Asia because right. it's a focused on Asian cinema. Well, now in modern times when actually a lot of what they book isn't necessarily Asian cinema, I never saw that. I thought it was Fantasia and I thought, what a weird name that this festival has because there's not that much fantasy film in- involved. It only is now that I realize, oh, it's because it used to be primarily Asian cinema and I feel stupid. Well, no, I mean, there's no reason to feel stupid because it doesn't focus as heavily on Asian cine- cinema anymore. So why would you necessarily think that? Though it is weird that your the first thing that your mind connects to with the word Fantasia is not the classic Disney film. Yeah, I don't like Disney. <laughs> Whether you like it or not, Liam. <laughs> You're right. Okay. It could have also been the Disney film. My bad. <laughs> so the Fantasia Film Festival has uh, – the website has thankfully preserved the program for the initial festival from 1996. And in it, we see just how ahead of its time the festival was in its celebration of Chinese and Japanese cinema – uh, which is only starting to find its mainstream love in the mid-90s. So uh, in this festival, you see there's uh, Hong Kong heroic bloodshed films like A Better Tomorrow 2, City on Fire, and Full Contact. They run up against wild fantasy films like A Chinese Ghost Story, kaiju classics like Destroy All Monsters, and martial arts epics like Super Cop and Project S. So it's really exciting to kind of go back. It's funny to go through that program from 1996 because it's basically one classic after another. I mean, it really is a packed festival. And even now, just it was kind of exciting to go through it with the thought that 
boy, I'd love to revisit a lot of these different kind of movies. Because I remember, I'm sure you do too, Liam, when the, the kind of concept of Hong Kong action cinema, where the availability increased a little bit, where you started to see post-Rumble in the Bronx, you got to see, you know, uh, Dickhead Weinstein putting out dubbed versions of all these classic Jackie Chan movies, but just the general availability and the excitement around it. Uh, it was, it was when it opened up, there was sort of like a decade plus of all of these movies that were suddenly available that previously uh, I just couldn't see. Well, I, that's partly why this is such a good place to have started is to realize how important this history is. I, I, I you know, again, I don't, I don't have all the facts in front of me, but I really do want to, you know, I really wonder in 1996 if Fantasia Festival doesn't happen, if some of the explosion of that stuff is as big as it ended up being. You mm -hmm. know what I mean? Um, because a lot of what played this festival ended up becoming part of how I got into movies. You know, like other movies influenced me. I, I also cared about horror. I also cared about, honestly, art film because of my mom and, and other things that I saw. But a big part of my education <laughs> in film was struggling to find these films. And so to look at this program and be like, oh, wow, every movie that I either loved or was trying to see in the 90s played this festival this year is like mind blowing to me. So let's talk about the people involved in the festival in 1996. Uh, the president of Global Vision, which is what the company that put on the event, was Pierre Corbeil. I'm, I, again, at least I have a distant connection with French Canada, so I might not uh, butcher all these names. The Hong Kong programming for the festival was done by Martin Sovago, while the Japanese programming was done by Andrew Dubois. Uh, unlike the following festivals, as we mentioned before, this was less a way to premiere brand new films to audiences and more of a best of selection to expose international audiences to the films of two countries that up to that point had been grossly underloved in North America. And uh, one of the genres that was on display or one of the categories that was on display was Japanese animation anime, as it is referred to now, Liam. Uh, and what what led to you choosing? Because we were we actually went through this program and chose movies to put up against each other. What led you to choose the movie that you chose it? Honestly, um, I have very uh, positive memories of the film. And upon watching it, I realize mm. that is entirely false. In that, <laughs> in that um, and people will know this, if you grew up in the 90s, uh, there was a lot of distribution uh, of anime by the same companies, right? And there was a whole series of home video releases that had the same ad before every movie and that ad burned into my brain and there are at least seven i think as many as 10 shots just from wicked city that made up this ad as well as a few from fist of the north star a few from uh uh project aco and ninja scroll um but most of it was wicked city and between that and then honestly I got on Tumblr in 2008, I guess. And so much of Tumblr is just gifts from Wicked City that, like, I really was sure that I had seen Wicked City. And uh, watching it, I realized I had not seen Wicked City. Um, there are a couple of scenes I had seen uh, in their entirety, but I had not seen the whole movie. Um, but I picked it because I just looked at a list. 
there are a lot of movies on this list that I am now very familiar with. But <laughs> even though even though I thought I had seen Wicked City, I knew I wasn't familiar with it. So I thought, well, I'll pick something that I'm interested in, but I'm not highly familiar with, and that'll be fun. And uh, it was only upon watching it I realized I have never seen the entirety of this film. <laughs> um, but I'm still glad to have watched it in that way because – Man, so many images from this movie are burned into my brain thanks to those ads for uh, anime from the 90s. So this is like Debate Club, right? Where you have been assigned something now that you have to defend even if you don't necessarily love it. Yeah, kind of. But we'll see. I have some interesting things to say about it, even as I have some strong critiques. Uh, We'll see about the win. I don't know how committed I am to beating you, though I do kind of want to beat you just because I like to beat you at things. (laughs) Well, you've promised us interesting things. Well, I think, uh, Liam, that we should take our first break. When we return, we're going to start with my pick, Fist of the North Star from the year 1986. Let's talk about it right after this. A nuclear war wipes out 90% of the Earth's population and almost all of its natural resources. In the aftermath, barbaric hordes loot and pillage their way through the vast desert plains. This lawless new world is ruled by warriors who have become invincible as a result of genetic mutations. These demigods dominate the more peaceful survivors, forcing them further into submission by repeatedly subjecting them to vicious rituals. The oppressed can only hope that one day a messiah will rise from the debris to bring justice to the land. Their prayers are answered in the form of Ken, a powerful fighter driven by a thirst for vengeance. He's on the lookout for Shin, another fearsome warrior who kidnapped the love of his life. In his travels, Ken meets a young girl who holds the hope for humanity in her palm, a handful of flower seeds ready to be planted. Ken realizes that she has risked her life to bring this symbol of hope to the oppressed. He becomes her guardian angel, and for a while, he is ruled by love instead of revenge. First playing at the 1996 Fantasia Film Festival on the 29th of August, 1996, it's Fist of the North Star from the year 1986. Liam, Fist of the North Star is a movie that I first experienced probably around 1994, 1995, something like that. I was definitely a teenager. And this is the kind of movie that at that time when I was really getting into cult cinema and horror cinema and extremely violent cinema, this might have been like birthed by God himself and placed in front of me as the perfect example of exactly the sort of shit that I was going to be into for the following decade. Something that's just extremely violent, has a plot that is completely incomprehensible to me, especially in the dubbed version that I, I had familiarity with. And uh, But still, everyone had huge muscles. Everyone looked like a 1991 WWF guy. And, uh, and people just exploded left and right. But Fist of the North Star is a lot bigger than just people exploding. Sort of. <laughs> so we're going to do a crash course history of it, Liam. But before we do that, I want to just get a sense from you. What was your first experience with Fist of the North Star? I think I similarly, it was just a VHS. Uh, I, I didn't pick it up that early. Like I was already pretty familiar with uh, anime at the time. Um, not an expert or anything, but I, I had been watching a little not bit. Not like now. Not like the expertise that you bring oh, yeah, to. Oh, such a deep <laughs> knowledge. Um, but, yeah, I, I remember watching it and then also 
there were tapes of the show as well. So uh, my first experience of Fist of the North Star was deep, deep brand confusion. Right. Uh, and, a, and a total frustration as to how the show and the movie could possibly align with each other, which I still don't understand. So let's go through that a little bit. So Fist of the North Star, also known as, again, we're going to butcher every name here, so please be kind, Hokotu no Ken. That originally began as a manga. Is it manga or manga? Let me get this straight right from the beginning. I think it's manga, actually. Right? Okay. So Hokotu no Ken originally began as a manga written by Boronsun and illustrated by Tetsuo Hara. And it was serialized in Weekly Shonen Jump from September 13th, 1983 until 1988. So this was a long-running manga. And the story was collected and released in a series of 27 volumes. And those are very commonly available. So in October 1984, Fuji Television started the Fist of the North Star TV series that you were just referring to, Liam. And that ran from 1984 to 1987, lasting 109 episodes. And then starting in 1987, uh, it ran another 43 episodes, kind of like a sequel series started then. While that series was ongoing, the film version of Fist of the North Star, the anime film version, premiered on March 8th, 1986, and was produced by the staff and cast who worked on the TV series. So basically, the same people making the TV series also made a feature-length kind of compressed version of the story. Uh, and that's, I think, the thing to get across is this this movie that we're about to talk about takes this sprawling series that wasn't even complete in terms of a story and tries to compress a lot of that story into an hour and a half. Um, and of course, Fist of the North Star as a brand goes way further than just this movie. Uh, there's a, there's a live-action American version of Fist of the North Star, which we're not really going to get into. Liam, have you ever seen that, the live-action version? Oh, yes. I've seen almost all of the live-action versions of the anime that I love. <laughs> so that's Fist of the North Star, The Giver. Uh, what was the other one? There's a variety of Crying like, Freeman? Oh, yes. Oh, my God. They're all so <laughs> oh, man. I, I will say, I think Fist of the North Star is actually better than Giver, but it's still bad. That, I... Oh, I really disagree. <laughs> I love the Giver. I really the love live it. live action Giver? I love it outside of Jimmy J.J. Walker's really terrible character in that movie. No, I love it. The special effects are great. You got David Gale and Jeffrey Combs. I mean, it's... Oh, it, man. I'll have to rewatch it. Screaming Mad mind, George doing effects in it. I mean, it's pretty. In my mind, the Fist of the North Star live action wasn't that bad. And I never really liked the live action Giver. Well, that's interesting to me. So, uh... Fist of the North Star has continued. There's been, I think, another, uh, like, a revised TV version of Fist of the North Star. I recently played the demo for the, uh, I think the, the game came out last year for the PS4 uh, Fist of the North Star game because I just wanted to see what kind of the latest material connected to the franchise was. And I had all sorts of fun. It's kind of like those Yakuza games, uh, except it's in the Fist of the North Star world where you're running into people and having all these fights and you you can play an old Fist of the North Star video game in it. It's uh, It was a lot of fun for the 20 minutes or so that the demo lasted. So uh, as I mentioned before, my experience with Fist of the North Star was the dubbed version from the mid-90s. Uh, it, it, and actually, I think it was fairly commonly available even in places like Blockbuster, even in the late 80s, early 90s. And uh, all I remembered about it was that it was gory as hell. Just fountains of gore. People got punched. He said, you're already dead and their bodies would explode. Uh, I also remember that the dub is ridiculous. And this time around watching it, Liam, did you watch the, the dubbed version or the subtitle? Oh, I had to go with the dub for nostalgia. <laughs> I, I, I had the option of the sub, but I just was like, no, I'm going to go dub on this one. 
I revisited it maybe a decade ago, uh, and I was still really into it because the things I didn't necessarily appreciate before, the fact that this is clearly influenced by Mad Max, that, that it has a lot of kind of kung fu-ish stuff in there as well, um, and, and even the animation itself, even though it's really inconsistent, the this was a, a they had a kind of a wider appeal than just the violence, which again I I was into simple pleasures when I first started watching these kind of movies, but let's start with you, Liam. Fist of the North Star, you had watched it before. This is a movie that you experienced after you had already experienced uh, other anime. What do you think of this movie? Are you a fan? Oh, is boy. this a is this a movie? Just blow Doug? right into that microphone, Liam. <laughs> Sorry, I. I, that was my sound. You should leave it in as my sound of exasperation because my deep, deep question is, you know, much like Martin Scorsese has inspired for all of us, what is cinema? Because I'm glad we're this, having this conversation, Liam. Finally, we're going to talk about it. It, it, it. Here's the thing. This feels um, it feels like just an extended special episode of the TV show. Oh. It, it it barely has a beginning. It certainly has very little arc, and the end is is random and unfulfilling. There, there's nothing about this that feels like a consistent narrative, and um, it also feels episodic. It both feels like a cheap ripoff of the show, but also feels like a bunch of episodes of the show cut together. Mm. Uh, it, it, you know, it's again, I am a, probably a little bit biased because it is dubbed. And so maybe in the original, uh, Japanese with subs, m- maybe things make a little bit more sense, but my viewing was okay. Plot. There's nothing here. So then I got to go to honestly, what really made me watch these movies, which was the art and violence. I mean, that's really what it was is <laughs> the way that the animation flowed felt at the period of animation on American television where we discovered anime, there were shows on TV regularly running that didn't have enough cells to actually maintain a feeling of motion. That like a good way for these people to save their money was to reuse cells or use less cells than what you would need for a proper frame rate. There were sometimes even half the frame rate they should have been for, for the for the human eye. And so uh suddenly seeing things that were like fluid and action filled and looked beautiful was like an explosion. Even, even compare, I mean, think about what was happening in late eighties, Disney, Mm. you know, this is 86 that this comes out. Not that it premiered in America per se, but it it comes out in 86, Mm -hmm. you know, a few years later, I I just rewatched little mermaid with uh, Maeve and I was struck by how that animation looks like trash to me now. It looks oh, like boy. actual <laughs> trash compared to other things I was watching at the time. So, uh, you know, what I want to see in this is, like, intense art and animation and ultraviolence. Well, the ultraviolence is kind of cool, but I've never really bought the whole, like, I'm going to make a weird mouth noise and, and you'll just see motion lines to show that I'm punching you and then you'll explode, like... It, it just seemed like there it could have been a little bit more dynamic. The whole point of the violence in the film is to be as not dynamic as possible because that's tougher. It's tougher if you just stand there and just punch a bunch and don't really move that much. Punch a bunch. You know what I mean? Like <laughs> that almost is more intense than actual like flips and fighting and whatever. Uh, and the, the, the actual art 
it is so um, varied. Some of the backgrounds are really cool. Right. Some of the like sort of uh, post-apocalyptic whatever is cool. But the actual character design is terrible. Like the no one's heads make sense. And <laughs> everyone looks like ugly and terrible. And uh, and there's just not a lot of dynamism. It's not very dynamic, which is kind of what attracted me to anime in the first place. So on this watch, you know, there's a lot of nostalgia and a lot of like giggles and fun. But barely entertaining barely engaging just not great i think i've appreciated it more over the years in sort of a um it's there's kind of a camp element to fist of the north star because you have this character that is so overpowered right i mean it it, just insane just insane and to the point where literally uh, aside from these kind of upper tier bosses that he's going to encounter at the end no one can even come close to like, like, all he has to do is walk up to someone and go, and then they'll just explode. Like, there's really, it's very much One Punch Man in that kind of, of uh, uh, in, in that kind of example. So it's a case where there's, there's so little challenge for this guy that it actually becomes kind of funny because as they pit people in a very episodic way up against him, you know that he's not in any danger. So they have to put people around him in danger to make uh, the stakes a little bit higher. But, you know... I loved the idea when I was a kid, and I still really love the idea that this is even kind of like it's post-apocalyptic, but these characters are so powerful that literally, like, like the entire planet could almost be destroyed by the power that they're they're putting out against one another, and that also that they become more symbolic than just human beings, right? That they're actually representative of constellations. That there is a story that's sort of larger than just this kind of Mad Max ripoff that's immediately in front of you. I'm glad that you brought up kind of 1980s animation because you're right the animation that we both grew up with for the most part was straight trash and honestly the motivations behind a lot of that animation was kind of trashy right and even though we both both probably have a lot of nostalgia for the the shows that we grew up with um transparently they were designed just to sell toys and to and not to tell a larger story while you know this is an adaptation of an ongoing story that lasted for years and years and years, that had story arcs, that had characters that developed. I'm not saying that Fist of the North Star is this, you know, uh, uh, amazingly detailed epic, but there is a larger storyline that's happening here. And the fact that this movie is even comprehensible is actually quite an accomplishment when you think about it. I can only imagine how overworked the people who were making this were if they had to, in the midst of making an ongoing TV series, have to stop and make a film version of it. But one thing I do want to point out is kind of the, the cheap thrills aspect of it that you brought up, Liam, which is that this movie is extremely violent, much more violent than the TV series was. Uh, they were allowed to show a lot more of the explicit explosions of people's heads, explosions of people's bodies. Now that you are an old man like me, <laughs> uh, does that still hold any appeal to you? Um, only for this, I feel like only for the sake of humor, you know what I mean? Like we've now seen so much gross craziness between mm. all of the insane movies that we've both watched that only if something <coughs> can tickle my funny bone, am I going to be stoked on, you know what I mean? Like there's no shocking me anymore. Uh, and certainly not in animation form. Cause you could literally draw anything. You could draw a giant, uh, uh, monster with three penises that shoot lasers that's in legend of the overfeed uh-huh. uh, uh, so you know uh, 
that in and of itself isn't really a huge attraction for me. Although I will say, even setting that as the as the criteria, there are some moments in here that are so unnecessarily gross that I did laugh. I mean, there, there there's not nothing here. This is, you know, at times very fun and and funny. Um, but for me, I don't know. I, it's funny that you lifted up the the larger uh, mythology as an argument for the film. It, it's really the larger mythology that makes me not like the film because it feels like such a cheap. It feels like such a cheap uh, take on what I assume is actually a bigger world. It, 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 in other words, getting back to your concept of a of a of a animation for us often being a, a cash in mm-hmm. that's how this feels to me look we've got this show and we've got this comic and neither one are as explicit as they could be let's make a movie just so we can throw a bunch of violence in there it won't even be i mean that's part of the problem with the film and this is you know not obvious to the watcher but it would have been probably obvious to the watcher who was into the show but i just learned it from reading about it on the internet it's not even in canon it's not even in line with the show. No. So if you're if you're a fan of the show and you go to see the movie, you're given a story that is light, that does not represent the characters really that you've come to love on the show, and all it offers you is a few more head explosions and stuff. I just that feels as cheap to me as any trying to sell me a toy. But don't you can't you also view it as more like a greatest hits aspect of like like th- this TV series was already available to the people at the time. So it's not like it can't be the same thing. And even the idea of like stopping the series, having this movie, and then having everyone have to see it before they can continue on with the TV series, that feels a little more cheap to me. The idea to me of having, you know, you get Toyo Ishida, the director here, who also made Vampire Hunter D. You get uh, everyone working in a, on a kind of a larger scale with more fluid animation without the restraints of the TV series that you can tell a compressed version of the story that they've already seen, but with better animation, with higher production value. And everyone can go see it and be like, wow, this is a really worthwhile property. This is something I'm really into. I can't wait to go back and continue watching this TV series. Uh, maybe. I don't know. I, I, I'm not willing to say no because I don't know. You know, I wasn't there. I didn't have that experience. <laughs> so, you know, and, and I really only caught the show part. I didn't even watch all of it. I par- caught parts of the show that were made available to me only because of having seen the movie. So I can't, you know, I can't make an honest comparison. But just on the information we have, I don't imagine myself being that stoked on it now. And, and partly that's because I just think the quality of the show is not – or of the movie rather is not a big enough improvement. It, 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 there's not enough of an original story there. I just think it would be cool if there was more, a little bit more to the story and a little bit better animation slash art. You know, it's, it's hard to say which part I'm not an expert on how animation is. So is it just, (laughs) is it in the sense of like, is what I'm not appreciating here uh, more about the art, like the character design, or is it more about how we've animated the show? It feels more about the animation that everything. Is I do very feel like you're energy. not appreciating the character design, which has become fa- rather iconic in this series. I mean, yeah, yeah these are just big it. old muscle men with really grotesque faces. But I mean that that is kind of a defining element. Of that's this fair. Series. Yeah, yeah, no, that's very that is very fair. I don't. I shouldn't separate the movie that way. I just think for me as a watcher now, I'm not 
as amused by it. At the time, I thought it was so freaking funny. But now I'm kind of like, yeah, it's fine. You know, it's that's what they look like, you know? It's it's a it's the case of a lot of things that when you experience them for the first time, they are very revolutionary. And then you return to them as you're an uh, adult, especially when a lot of the cheaper thrills have kind of filtered away and you see these things for what they are and you can either still enjoy them on a nostalgia level or maybe in this case, there are other things to enjoy, right? There could be the quality of the animation. There could be voice acting theoretically, though I do think the dub in this is pretty ridiculous. Yeah, so um, bad. The, the, the sub, I think that the subversion, it, it's because the the vocal talent is taking it apparently very seriously it actually makes it funnier for me while the the dub is everyone seems to be treating it as very goofy which i guess you know it works on kind of a different level but i do think that the thrills that i took from fist of the north star in the mid 90s a lot of those have been dampened by time which is really more of a sign of how available material is now how available a lot of exploitation movies a lot of anime a lot really everything is a lot more available now so it's it you don't have to take the meager thrills from other things that said i still think that there's a lot of fun to be had with this property i it did make me very curious after finishing it to be like maybe i should check out the manga maybe i should check out the tv series maybe i should check out this wider world like i said i i got that video game just to try it out because i kind of loved the world the idea of this kind of amalgam of post-apocalyptic movies and mad max and martial arts and i still think that that works uh, and can be really interesting and fun though uh the the live action gary daniels starring fist of the north star movie mo mo sorry liam <laughs> Fist of the North Star movie is straight trash. And I would I, there's a part of me that wants to go back and just pit the Fist of the North Star live action movie against the Wicked City live action movie and see how that goes Yo, down as well. <laughs> I would actually do that. I would do I would totally do that. It might be a, a, a special Patreon episode. Yeah, yeah. Hey, we should we should definitely do that. If you are a listener who wants to hear us talk about that, uh, we will we'll get on that. I have them both ready to go. Uh, but uh, so let's just get our final thoughts here on Fist of the North Star. You think it's garbage. You think no one should like it. You think the people listening right now who are fans are stupid and that they're bad because they're bad people because <laughs> they like this shitty I think, piece of I, garbage. I think that I think that um, you said about being inspired to check out other things. I would actually pick up the manga. I think there's actually the movie hints at enough of a, there being more of an interesting world that I would check it out. But uh, the movie itself, it's not great. I, I don't think it's total trash or anything. I've I've actually, because of my obsession with anime at the time, have watched worse things than Fist of the North Star. That but, is uh, not – that is such damning with faint praise. My God, there's so much terrible anime out there, Liam. Yeah, but I just don't think that this is very good. And I, I think um, – I think even if the animation and the action are not that much better in the series, I would hope that the length of the series would give me more story, which, you know, at some level, I still care about the story. Just to finish off, Liam, have you ever fantasized about hunching someone repeatedly, walking away and telling them that they're already dead and then having them just explode into viscera and gore? Uh, no. Hmm. You have different fantasies than me, Liam, and I can appreciate <laughs> that. But I do think a lot of our listeners would uh, think that was pretty awesome, and I certainly think that's awesome. And I do think that Fist of the North Star from 1986 still has a lot to offer. But what does Wicked City from the year 1987 have to offer? 
We're going to take another break. And when we return, Liam is going to put up the case for Wicked City. Join us after this. Wicked City is a film from 1987 that played at the Fantasia Fest on August 9th, 1996. Uh, its original title, Yoju Toshi, uh, literally translates as Supernatural Beast City. Uh, it is a sort of dark fantasy horror film based on Blackguard, which is a series of six novels of the same name by Hideyuki Kikuchi. Uh, the film is the directorial debut of Yoshiaki Kawajiri and apologies if I uh, butchered that you might know him from Ninja Scroll or funny enough the Vampire Hunter D sequel so we have Mm. a Vampire Hunter D crossover here Uh, he was also the character designer and the storyboard artist and the animation director and the key animator so you know wearing a lot of hats on Wicked City (laughs) Um, so Wicked City it, it has been the target of critics of anime because of its violence sexuality charges of misogyny all of which are actually very fair critiques (laughs) Um, it's set in an alternate 1990s uh which is must have been interesting watching in 1996 as opposed to the 1987 when it came out right um but humans and monsters they live in a tenuous peace in this world uh representatives from the earth and from the where the monsters live which is called the black world are on the verge of signing a mutual non-aggression pact after years of, of savagery um the earth gentleman taki he's one of the elite black guards chosen to defend the earth from uh renegade members of the black world denizens which is worth noting here so there's i guess sort of a monster government of some kind (laughs) and then there are renegade monsters who hate humans and so this is about in a way fighting terrorists it's a terrorist story Uh but those terrorists are monsters uh anyway so uh taki uh he's teamed with a female uh black worlder slash monster named maki which is by the way ridiculous in order to protect the life of uh a mr mayert 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 i'm not sure how to say it he's a basically a dwarfish oversex buffoon who just happens to hold the key to universal peace he, he he's sort of a mystic is the idea he's a psychic he has connections between their world and our world um Look, it's got monstrous vaginas. It's got uh, all kinds of rape as a plot device and uh, lots of sexual content. Our hero is like this virile, uber masculine salary worker. Like by day, he's a salary man. By night, he's a secret agent. And, uh, you know, he he's just goes around blowing people away with his gun, which is obviously a fill in for his cock. Uh, so this is uh, released by Streamline Pictures to the U.S. in the 90s. Um, I grew up seeing clips of this thing over and over and over again, as I said. Um, Streamline Pictures was founded by Carl uh, Mashik, uh, who was a and famed uh, animation historian Jerry Beck. And they were a real trailblazer during this period. Um, they had all kinds of more quality dubs than what was going on at the time. Uh, they really tried to like break ground with bringing a lot of these titles to America. Um, 
uh, I was never able to catch this as a kid. Uh, like I said, uh, Kawajiri, though, uh, he directed Ninja Scroll and Vampire Hunter D. Bloodlust. Those were huge, huge to me. And so I feel kind of connected to this work, which also means I kind of understand some of the criticisms of this work as well. Um, uh, taking all those films together, this film, Ninja Scroll, Vampire Hunter D., um, I got to say, uh, this director doesn't seem to have a, I don't know, a very positive view of women. Uh, alone, this film really makes me sort of question the portrayal of women, knowing that he also did Ninja Scroll and Vampire Hunter D. Bloodlust. Whoo, man. Oh, what's what's going on, buddy? You want to talk about that? <laughs> um, anyways, uh, you know, Wicked City... I think has a huge influence on a certain part of the internet. I worry that part of that internet might be weirdly uh, alt-right trolls, but I know another part of that internet is like uh, the uh, sad boy uh, (laughs) SoundCloud rap community, the sort of Xanax hip hop community, streetwear people, certain realms of like uh, uh, dark wave music and uh, synth wave stuff uh, because Aesthetically, it is the, as far as I know, the first marriage of a kind of cyberpunk aesthetic, which in 87 was already pretty new. It wasn't Mm -hmm. like an established ideal with a dark horror goth upsetting vibe. It it, it really is film noir meets horror film meets sci-fi film. Mm -hmm. Uh, And in that is kind of groundbreaking, uh, despite all the... uh, uh, vagina dentata. So, uh, <laughs> Doug, what did you think of this part cyberpunk, part Lovecraftian, women-hating goth nightmare, Wicked City? So, let's just make it clear. You hate women, which is why you chose <laughs> this movie for us to watch. You know what? I, I want to make it... I don't want to... I think it's too simple to say that if you like Wicked City, then you uh, agree with the misogyny that is in it. Because I no, don't think... Yeah, right, not at all. I also think that we might be simplifying things by accusing the director of being misogynist simply because a lot of his movies feature it. Uh, especially remembering that this is an adaptation of a series of novels and that who knows how much of that content comes from those original novels as well. I mean, he still you know was participating in adapting it, but you know what I mean, that, that there are elements that could come from other sources. No, I'm not saying case. I'm not saying this proves anything. All I'm saying is, I already felt uncomfortable watching the movie thinking, man, this is this is a dark take on uh, the female gender. Then when I read that he directed these other two movies, which I also know very well, I'm like, wow, we don't have a consistent track record of great <laughs> portrayals of, of women. Again, none of that proves anything. But if someone wants to make a case about how he feels, I'm not offended by that. I, I think that there's enough evidence there to say at least – uh, his work does not make a good case for uh, a positive representation. As to what his I, personal feelings on, I don't know. I don't know the dude. I can't really say. I first experienced Wicked City through the live-action adaptation of this story, the Chewy Hart-produced version, uh, which is a really weird way to come at it because I, at that time I probably wasn't even aware that there was an anime that it was necessarily based on. For some reason... 
the Wicked City live action version was really commonly available in the mid nineties. I'm not a hundred percent sure why that was. I've uh, never watched it. I don't know. It's been about. a really long time since I have as well, so I don't want to speak to it. But again, hey, if you want us to talk about that and the Fist of the North Star live action, just let us know. Um, so coming at this, my expectations were very much based on what I knew about it, which is that it, it had this kind of overarching plot where there was kind of two worlds that exist, a dark demon world and our regular quote unquote world. And they have this uneasy alliance. And that I think as a concept is really cool. It reminded me a little bit of the movie Alienation with James Caan uh, and Mandy Patinkin. You know, the idea in that case, it was used more as a metaphor for uh, immigration and things along those lines and the difficulty of, of and racism and things like that. That is not what's happening here. <laughs> the, the relationship between the demon people and like the, the dark side people and the regular people it's lasted long enough that there are people who have that level of racism and or or um, have this distaste for it for these people from this other place. But it there, there's a real integration that's already occurred here. So you kind of are coming at it when the story is really far along, which is I think is actually kind of interesting. You're kind of dropped into it. At first, I was very confused about who Taki was supposed to be, especially because they do that swerve where he is like a salary man. And then it's like, no, but he's also a member of this elite squad. It's like, why does he even have a cover job? Why couldn't he just be this <laughs> guy? Well, isn't, isn't that isn't it because humans don't seem to know about the monsters? I don't. That wasn't totally clear to me either. Uh, I think I, the I think that is one of the flaws uh, outside of any of the political stuff. One of the flaws that actually hurts the movie itself is that it is, in my mind, confused as to whether humans know about the monsters. Monsters clearly know about the humans. Yeah. That's not up for argument. They all, every monster seems to know there's a whole human world that they could be feasting on at any moment. And some of them are cool with not doing that. And some of them are not, but humans don't seem to know one way or the other about the monsters, or maybe they do. Cause some humans seem to know and some don't. And the movie never makes a strong case either way. My assumption about his uh, identity was though, not just, uh, that maybe not all humans know about the monsters, but also if people knew he was a member of the Black Guard, they'd be coming for him all the time. Oh, you know, okay, that, fair that, enough. You know what I mean? That he, that being a member of the Black Guard is like being a secret agent. The problem with that is all the monsters see his face. Yeah. He doesn't wear a baklava, so I don't really quite understand. It, the movie never – for a movie that I think actually does a very good job of setting up its world – in an aesthetic sure. and atmospheric way, the details are not clear. And that could be, I don't know if you watch this dubs or subs. I watch it subbed. I look because I did grow up in the nineties where, um, it was, it was basically a crime. If you had the subbed version available to watch the dubbed version, I always watch the sub version still. I definitely watched the dub version. But that's because uh, I didn't watch the copy that you got me. I watched the copy I already had available to me, which sure. was dubbed. Um, so, but just going back to that uh, for a second, um, the, I do think that the world building aspect of this is really interesting. And I also really love the kind of noirish tone that it has. And there is a certain level of misogyny already baked into a lot of film noir. So the, the idea that that might continue from that is also maybe an explanation. Again, I don't want to make... I don't want to defend uh, how the women in this movie are treated, particularly because even though the lead female character is a badass, she is presented as this extremely sexualized object. And this movie is also 
I mean, I don't know. Is this movie like kind of one of the ground zero for tentacly stuff in this kind of movies? I I, I just no, don't know. Not not at all. I don't think so at all. I think that that has been a thing for a very long time. Because like, it's funny that it's become such a cliche and sort of a joke among people who are not necessarily into anime. That when you see it and you realize, you know, it's so obvious that the tentacles that you're seeing are just you know representations of penises all over the place and then you get like weird close-ups of these tentacles i mean it really is icky might not be the right word but it feels icky when you're watching it especially in combination of with women with you know dangerous monster vaginas who are basically spiders looking to trap men i mean there is a larger theme of dangerous women or women as victims here and it kind of goes back and forth and that's a really weird thing because you have this super powered demon woman who is partnered with Taki uh, and and yes her name being Maki is really strange um, and then we find out at the end that they've both been horrifically manipulated into forming a relationship with one another um, and and we get that the uh, this super powered psychic uh, character who we find out at the end that he how he's been acting this whole time which has put them in danger from like the very moment that they met him that it's all been this ridiculous act to try to again sure. push this together i don't know if the plot as a whole holds together if you really think about it the fact that this this uh dwarf character is just obsessed with sex and wants to go to massage bars and but but also is putting himself in danger and like all of our characters all, all of our lead characters almost get killed in the confrontations that he forces it really is a strange plot when you think about it but again this might also be a result of the same kind of difficulties that the fist of the north star movie had which is that it's compressing uh this novel and in fact a series of novels into a feature length film well, I think we should just name this. This is something that I think anyone who's even mildly interested in anime knows. Um, there's a big difference between original properties and properties based on manga, and that some properties based on manga, the same way with comic book movies or anything else, sure. sometimes it's done in a way that I think assumes you know the manga. That it's done in a way that's like, oh, you already know this story. You mm. already know what's happening. This is just making it real for you. This is just bringing it to life. And as an American kid who hadn't read the manga, you probably were watching this going, I don't even understand what's happening right now. But there are, <laughs> but there are monster boobs, so I guess it's okay. I, I don't know. So, okay, like, um, I think what you bring up is, is really true. I do want to... I do want to say a word, and I'm sure you're getting to this, but I do want to say a word. Aesthetically, this is very influential, and 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 I I don't think it's ground zero for tentacle rape. I don't sure. think that's that this is the the for that. But as far as ground zero for this kind of like dark aesthetic, you know, this guy in a suit blowing away monsters with what seems to be a magic laser pistol. I don't even know. Again, his penis. Uh, that. It does feel like ground zero for that. It does feel like ground zero for a lot of the 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 fights. Her when her when she grows her fingernails out and starts attacking people for the first time, that's iconic. That's culture. That is like a that is a cultural moment for a certain kind of nerd. Sure. And I would say not just when it came out in '87, for the next decade, because of how long it took for us to get access to these things, I'd say that that the moments of this film were important into the 2000s, and that to me 
is can't be underestimated. However, the issue here for me is that what makes me uncomfortable from a personal and political sense, the way that the women are treated in this film and the way that the the we're thinking about gender and sex and all that mm-hmm. uh, is also a problem with the plot. And that's the thing is that. You know, anyone wants to come at me and say I'm a PC social justice warrior because I don't like uh, the way that we take a woman who seems to be almost uh, invincible and then just make her a rape victim for the plot. Mm -hmm. Like maybe that maybe I'm wrong. Maybe I'm being a sensitive snowflake. But the problem for me is, as you've already pointed out, that the plot itself suffers from those details. It's not just a political stance I have, though I think that's reason enough for me to be like, ew, gross. It also makes the movie bad. (laughs) It also makes it not as good, which is, to me, even more frustrating in some ways because on an aesthetic animation level, I think this is really, really good. It's it's actually... It's it's really impressive. It's a really interesting fact about a lot of anime, which is that there's a lot of beautiful garbage in anime. Yeah. Like just incredibly well uh, designed and well animated, uh, absolute dog shit. And that's not what I'm saying Wicked City is, but there is a lot of that out there. So sometimes you have to separate the craft of the animation and the design that you're seeing here. And in fact, this is a much more attractive movie to watch. Uh, I'm not talking about sexually attractive, but just it's just a really beautiful movie in a lot of ways while you're watching this content, which is thoroughly unpleasant. But before we continue on that, Liam, I brought up a Wikipedia article called Tentacle Erotica. Uh, and it says here that the earliest animated form of tentacle assault was in the 1985 hentai Dream Hunter Rem. But uh, one of the other ones that it mentions here uh, is Legend of the Overfiend, which was actually from 1986, which I guess was kind of revolutionary for that sort of uh, uh, of genre. But in terms of, of animation and tentacles and all of that, apparently it really does come from the mid-1980s. So it was pretty fresh at the time that this movie came out. And I think you could probably make a case that the popularity of Legend of the Overfiend might have played into how it's presented here in Wicked City. I, that's very fair. Um, and I will say if if I, I sort of lamented it at the, at the top, I actually don't think it's entirely unfair that this movie gets lumped in with movies like Legend of the Overfiend. Sure. But I but I do think Legend of the Overfiend, while it has a story and it has things going on, that's that is to me a form of hent- hentai. Yeah, you know, absolutely. Like that is that is a that is a dark, violent, horror porn film. This movie, as much as it has gross content in it, I really don't think the intention is to make a, a pornographic film. And and I do think at the very least, um, it, it, it is uh, it is more of an exploitation film than it is uh, a, a porn film. But I will say that um, that doesn't really feed as an easy way to write it off. But I don't think it's the sexuality sure. of the movie that's the problem. <laughs> I think it is is more the gender dynamics that I'm uh, un- unhappy with than just the fact that there are cartoon boobs because, you know, that's what people like. That's what people like. It's certainly to high school me. That's what I would have liked. If you can separate yourself from those elements and if you can turn down your social justice warrior meter, Liam. <laughs> sure, sure, sure. I do think there's a lot to enjoy in this. Uh, and and because there is – because the plot is so whacked out in a lot of ways, but also that it, it's still hung on a very traditional – you know, two people have to partner together – there have completely different backgrounds. 
it's uh, and, and they have to somehow learn how to work together. And that's such a trope that we're so used to that it's still very entertaining. And you do have this comic relief character that also makes it it keeps it from getting too heavy and too serious as it goes along. And while the culmination and the end of this movie is completely ridiculous, it has this huge uh, fight that takes place in a church where our two lead characters have now learned to love each other and have made love and have become pregnant immediately. Um, it There is an element of me as a teenager that would have thought that was so cool and that it is, even though it's really strange and doesn't really make a lot of sense, that it is kind of fun at the same time. Uh, this is a, a movie that if you detach yourself from it, there's more than just the cheap thrills, I think, of Fist of the North Star. I think that there's actually elements of this that you can appreciate on a plot level, too. I think that's true. I think that um, I get why it has the impact it has. uh, And as much as I am concerned about the elements of it enough that I don't think I will watch this again, per se. Mm -hmm. um, I do take very seriously its impact. And I think that it's kind of brilliant. The parts that work for me are like really brilliant and really good and really um i don't know aesthetically interesting uh i just wish that the gross parts were just a little less gross <laughs> it is uh, just like with fist of the north star it's the kind of movie that made me curious about the larger influence of both this movie and what went into this movie so i actually picked up the uh the novels that that uh that this movie were, were uh based on and I might give them a read and give, get an idea of the larger world building that occurs. I do feel like the concept, you can do a lot of interesting things with it. But I also don't want to read pages and pages of descriptions of women being assaulted by tentacles and weird creatures. Because that just doesn't do it for me, Liam. Well, I think that, uh, honestly, I actually would straight up put forward that uh, a... Uh, showtime series or hbo series version of this material would actually be really good you could tone down again i don't know that the source material has misogyny in it or not um but whether it's there in the source or not you could tone down that stuff you could still keep it dark and and sexy a little bit you could you know do some interesting special effects nowadays i just think it'd be an interesting series to do um uh but yeah i you know if someone watches this I, I I wouldn't go so far as to tell people to search this out, it, especially if you are someone who, um, you know, the idea of a lot of uh, uh, assault and dark representations of women bums you out. That this is not this is not worth that effort. But if you're, you're you you are interested in it, I wouldn't tell you not to either. Like I don't think it is deeply uh, upsetting to the point where you should guard yourself from it or anything like that. It's just, it, it, it almost is like, because the parts I like, I like so much, it frustrates me that there are these parts that I really don't think are very good. It's interesting that we came into this presenting these two movies that we both have kind of mixed feelings about. Sure. However, Liam O'Donnell, yes. I think that Fist of the North Star from 1986 is the superior viewing experience while you despite apparently hating the movie we could see <laughs> i actually could, could can i actually say though please uh since this is a versus i actually really not not debate club style i really do think wicked city wins out over fist of the north star well that's just your opinion but listeners what's your opinion we want to hear from you whether you think wicked city or fist of the north star is the superior film that featured in the 1996 fantasia international film festival if you want to check out 
Fist of the North Star and Wicked City. They're actually very commonly available, but if you just want to watch them for free legally, you can go to MidnightPulp.com. They both have the dubbed and subbed version of uh, Fist of the North Star and Wicked City to watch right now. Uh, if you just want to check out Wicked City, it's on TubiTV.com. Uh, Again, both of those are ad-supported, so you'll have to be interrupted by ads, but you can check out those movies and let us know what you think. If you do want to check out more about Cinema Smorgasbord, you can go over to cinemasmorgasbord.com, uh, which is where we'll have our most recent episodes and some descriptions of some of the shows that are going to be featured on the Cinema Smorgasbord network, including the return of Eric Roberts is the fucking man. Yeah, it's Eric Roberts is the fucking man redux. Uh, for those who know Liam and I from podcasting together, that's probably where you know us. It's the long-running Eric Roberts-themed podcast. You can also follow us on Twitter at Cinema Smorg. That's S M O. RG Liam, where can people find you online? Uh, well, I think primarily they should check out uh, Cinepunks at uh, C-I-N-E-P-U-N-X. Mm -hmm. But if for some reason you want to hear me whine about life and stuff, you can find me on Twitter at Liam Rules. That's R-U-L-Z. R-U-L-Z. Unbelievable. Uh, and you can, of course, find me on Twitter as well at Doug underscore Tilly. That's T-I-L-L-E-Y. Do us a favor. Leave us a review on iTunes. Recommend us to your friends. Again, lots of exciting stuff in the Cinema Smorgasbord universe upcoming. But for now, it's time for us to say goodnight. We'll be back really soon with another festival pitting two favorites against one another. Good night, everybody. I'm not saying anything. Is my wrong?